Uh, see, this is already good. <laughs> All okay, right. officially. Officially. Starting. All right. Now. Hey, we're back. Michael. Hey, hey you're Matt. here. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. All right, good. So uh, we got to be doing this again. We got Mike McCloskey coming on. That's right. All right. What are we going to talk about? Well, I don't know. Well, I got a lot of questions. So you do? I do. You have, have questions, questions written down? I have a couple, but they're, they're in my head. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know. Uh, we've kind of had a lot of these conversations with Mike before. With uh, yeah, He was part of the Fado Fridays. And uh-huh. so... Uh, so a lot of this is kind of a continuation of, of some of those conversations, which is kind of fun. So, um, yeah, definitely. So um, tell maybe give a little background on, on, uh, on Mike and where, what he kind of does. <laughs> so Mike McCloskey is my father. He is a licensed professional counselor. He's been doing that for, I don't know, three decades more, maybe close to four. Um, overall, just, a very, I think intelligent, smart, well-spoken, uh, thoughtful individual. I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's kind of unpack it. What are you thinking? Well, I mean, I think I just have a lot of questions. Um, it seems like one thing is, you know, counseling and therapy are, are so much more accepted today than it was maybe 10, 20 years ago. So I'd kind of like to know his experience over the years of seeing, you know, is that the case that people are more willing to go to counseling, you know, and uh, therapy and and to work things out through that way. And also like maybe, you know, what did people do prior to this being a lot more common? You know, it's like, was this something in religious communities that, that was provided or, you know, is there a failing in religious communities or even, um, uh, you know, family or, or kind of where this is kind of come, kind of being more acceptable. Cause I remember like 10, 20 years ago, you'd say like, Oh, I'm in counseling or therapy. It was sort of like, Oh, are you in trouble? Like, are you yeah. going to kill yourself or something like that? And it doesn't seem like that's, it's, it's a lot more acceptable today than for not just really dramatic or drastic things. The stigma has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I'd be curious to see kind of where that comes from. And also like what, what drives the need and desire for mm. counseling? Yeah, no, that's so true. I mean, also there's a there's a whole thing too, like you know, between like even children's counseling, adolescence, you know, uh, uh, your twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. You know, it's how that also differs. Like you know, even things I've heard of, of between like first half of life, second half of life. You know, what does that mean? You know, midlife crisis. Um, you know, even I've heard things where people are experiencing the quote, um, midlife crisis at an earlier age, like in their twenties. And, uh, you know, maybe there's some things in there that we can kind of get into of like, you know, what is his experience with, you know, different ages and throughout the time he's been counseling and therapy and stuff. Yeah. It's, I wonder if people generally see counseling or psychiatry, um, as, a response to something negative mm-hmm. or is there another perception to that? Do people mm-hmm. seek that service out of something that isn't a response to a negative event or a negative mm. feeling? Yeah. Like just more like a growth or something like that or just yeah. personal growth. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I wonder if it, if, if it was even before, like how, like how did most people like when they came to like, is there a difference between when people came prior 
to 10, 20 years ago, I'm just throwing that number out there that is, you know, now it's more of like, Hey, I really want to work on this. Or is it, or is it always like a dramatic or is there just more dramatic events happening today or people mm. feel that way? I, I don't, I don't really know. I think that's something that, uh, I have a question about in general, you know? Yeah. I think in, in, it seems to me that recently and maybe just with the sort of advent of the internet and social media, we are a lot less likely to sort of internalize the things that happen in our lives. It, and, and I don't mean that in internalized personally, but mm-hmm. you know, the scope of where you discuss problems or where you discuss life, uh, has just grown. Mm-hmm. So whereas before uh, maybe a negative event happens in the life of a man and he discusses that with his wife, maybe mm-hmm. with his kids and, and not much out of outside of that, maybe yeah. in church. Um, but the scope of our ability to have conversations has grown so much mm-hmm. and it's so easy to find other people with a similar point of view or a place to go um, that maybe that has changed our perception of, of therapy as well. Yeah. I mean, is there also that sort of like, you know, just toughen up kind of thing that was prior? Like, yeah. you know, it's like, just suck it up, you know, or, or is it, I mean, it, that's another thing too. I kind of wonder too, is like, because <laughs> life is easier today than it was 50 years ago, 60 years ago. I mean, like, you know, we go to the grocery store in the West, you know, it's like, we have all this stuff, you know, it's like, there's so many things that are, you know, um, available to us today that now we can kind of maybe even focus on more, um, uh, like maybe focus on ourselves or maybe that's not even a good thing is how much we focus on ourselves. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and that actually like, so it starts to sound like self care, mm-hmm. which goes back to the, is it a positive or a negative? Can it be, can it be just self care? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always here too, like navel gazing, you know, it's like, just, I don't know that. I don't know. It's like, well, it's like you're always looking at yourself and trying to fix yourself or you've got this problem or that problem. And then you just kind of, it's just continually, you're always dealing with, some sort of problem or at some point you kind of need to like, kind of like go out into the world and do something, you know? Yeah. And it's not just, it's not all about you, you know, it's like, which, you know, I think there's, uh, I don't know. Again, I think that can be, um, you know, maybe insensitive in some ways is like, you know, there are some things you really do need to, to address and approach, you know, but is there a point where, you know, that is no longer, it's actually, um, counter, uh, helpful, you know, or something like that. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so something that I was thinking about, um, in relation to this interview is, um, and I don't know exactly how to put it into terms, but it's something that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about maybe over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, it's the idea that our realities and what is true to us is so highly contextual. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I don't know, like singular and unique to each individual. Mm -hmm. And so if you are talking to someone, getting at their reality and their truth takes a lot of time and Hmm. skill and patience. Yeah. Um, So I'm curious uh, to talk about that and Mike's experience talking to people for 40 years. And then how do you do that? How do you, Mm -hmm. how do you get to any place of understanding what are the, what are the methods and what are the, the troubles that he finds there? Mm-hmm. 
or even like how do you go home from something like that? You know, always being involved with, you know, people like that are really struggling or going through things and then being able to <laughs> step away and like, you know, yeah, go to a party or, <laughs> you know, go home to your kids or something like that. And as, you know, as his son, mm-hmm. uh, that's something he's done really seemingly effortlessly mm. to me. Yeah. Uh, surely it can't have been effortless. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Well, shoot, man, we should probably just dive into it, huh? Are you ready? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Let's bring him on. All right. Well, uh, next up is uh, Mike McCloskey. Whatever you can grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger is a Mike, hi. Hey. It feels weird to call you Mike. <laughs> you can call me father. Father. <laughs> I am your father. Glad to have you here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So you've been sitting, listening into that previous conversation. I have. Um, what if we just kick the ball straight to you? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Where do you want to start with all that? Maybe. Um, yeah. So. Maybe just a little history, like kind of maybe, you know, how you kind of got into counseling and, and why it uh, yeah. might interest you. And yeah. And maybe I'll sort of, through that question, go back to something y'all ended with, sort of the idea of like, how do you take that home or whatever. Like, mm. And what, what I was thinking about when you were talking about that is sort of a couple of things. One is the idea that I think most people who go into this, this work this profession go into it not as a this sounds like a good career choice mm-hmm. right like like I would I want to be an engineer because then I could do this and that and make this amount of money and whatever I think most people who go into therapy uh, go into the field of therapy um, go into it in in a very personal way mm-hmm. right like um, there's things within their own life that they want to work out they want to work through and the idea of being in that direction, the therapeutic direction, is as much for them as it is for hmm. the people that they're helping. Mm-hmm. And I very much feel that. I mean, <clears throat> I get asked all the time that question, like, how do you not take this home? Mm-hmm. And my answer is always, I absolutely do take it home. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't leave it at the office. And I think the reason for that is, and, and maybe this is the uniqueness of this field, is that when I'm talking to people, I'm talking to people. I'm mm-hmm. talking. I'm not talking to problems. I'm talking to individuals and with whom I'm having a conversation about very important things. And I've always felt a, just an immense privilege in doing that, being able to have conversations with people <clears throat> um, about the things that I know are going on in people's lives, and we all know are going on in people's lives. <clears throat> but perhaps there's not a lot of context for that in normal life conversation, Mm -hmm. right? And so the kinds of things that I talk to people about are really the kinds of things that I wrestle with. Mm -hmm. And maybe not, maybe I don't wrestle with the same exact issue as to why they've come to talk to me, but I I always assume that um, the kinds of things that they struggle with, the the deep issues that they struggle with are exactly the same deep issues that I struggle with. 
And so to be able to have a conversation with somebody like that is very um, energizing to me. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't feel burned out by that at all because I, I feel like we're having the kind of conversation that people ought to have. Yeah. Whether it's in a counseling office or otherwise. And the interesting thing about doing it in a counseling office is it feels to me that there's like this sacred space, Mm -hmm. right? Where we have come here for this reason to talk in this way. Mm -hmm. And so small talk is pretty minimal. Right. Um, We kind of launch into the reason why we're here. I think that that feels right. That feels good to people. They Mm -hmm. want, I want an opportunity to sit with someone and talk in a serious way about the things that I'm thinking, things that I'm struggling with. So the idea of doing that, um, as I said, feels um, enlivening to me. It feels energizing to me because I feel like I'm doing something. um, I mean, I've had people come sit down and talk with me, and at the end of 45 minutes, they may say to me, I've told you more about my life Mm. in these last 45 minutes than I've told anybody in my whole life. And that feels both like an incredible honor mm-hmm. to to sit and be able to see those things in a person's life and to be able to hold those things in a person's life. And it also feels in one sense incredibly sad because we're, we're all in that position. We don't, we don't generally talk about the deep existential realities of our life and the things we feel ashamed about and the things we feel compulsive about and the things we feel wounded by. Mm-hmm. We don't typically talk about those in normal conversations and perhaps shouldn't, but that's uh, something I'd like to talk about is, okay. is that, is that one, that sacred space in the place to do that and how we don't either purposefully or not, I don't know, we don't generally have the space for those kinds of conversations mm-hmm. in our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And why is that? And, and like you said, maybe we shouldn't, I don't, I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. There may be a lot of reasons for that. I, I think, um, maybe part of it is we live in a much more disjointed um, society than maybe we did a hundred years ago or sometime in the past when there perhaps were opportunities for more natural conversations to come out. Hmm. Um, uh, It it seems like today uh, we live in a way that feels more disjointed. We're not, um, we don't have as many perhaps natural opportunities to have conversations over a long period of time with someone. Um, and so, you know, even when I think about, uh, I, I may have been seeing this particular client for a year. That means I've had 50 hours, let's say of conversation with them. That's a lot of, lot of hours. That's a lot of conversation. I mean, who in your life do you have 50 hours of intense conversation? Well, probably very, very few people, if any, right. Yeah, and I think very very few people because a lot of our relationships just can't sustain yeah. that amount of yeah. stress. I mean, to have a deep existential conversation is is I, I think, like you said, invigorating, but it also takes effort and yeah. uh, it puts a it puts a stress on the relationship. Mm. And there's it seems like there's something about therapy that because it is a different kind of relationship and and it is transactional in a, you know, in a monetary way, mm-hmm. um, that relationship doesn't have to sustain anything else, right? you know, mm-hmm. doesn't have to sustain like going and hanging out later or what, you know, that's really a good point. Yeah. And so, I think there are both advantages to that and disadvantages. Hmm. I think a lot of my initial training in the field was sort of in the, 
um, mindset that what we do in therapy ought to be something which should be incorporated in more of our normal conversations in life. In other mm. words, that, that we should think about life with one another in a way that changes the way we relate to one another and the kind of conversations we can have with one another. But, but what I've found as a, a, being a professional therapist for all these years is that I think there's something really, really good about having the parameters of that conversation set both by time, mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a monetary transaction that happens, which also means that I don't really have a stake in their lives, mm -hmm. right? I don't, I don't need them to like me. I don't need, you know, lots of things at work there that simply are taken off the table. I can, yeah. I can be as blank of a person to them as any person can be because mm -hmm. uh, we don't have those issues coming back and forth between <clears throat> the two of us. And I think that can be a really good thing. And I think that's probably part of the reason why people are much more able to open those things up because they know that there's a trust there that is based upon the fact that they know that I'm not going to probably think a certain thing about them when I see them, you know, at church next week or right. whatever other context may be there. Right, and sometimes that happens. You do see people outside of that that time, and it can be rather upsetting. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I've I've run into people at the grocery store, and I know that they saw me, but they went the other way. Right, right. and which I'm perfectly fine with. I'm mm -hmm. not, you know, um, but I so I understand that. Right, like the, I think the intentionality of that conversation and the space in which that exists. Is, is a very good thing. And I think there are some other parts of it that, that also mess with the fact that, that there is an intimacy and a closeness that is developed in that context mm -hmm. that, that in which that there's this desire to be closer, right? And so there are personal issues that come up between the therapist and the, the patient or client or whatever word you want to use. And, and again, I think all of those issues are things that that have the opportunity to be worked through in the context of that conversation. Do you feel like, um, as far as like someone who mm -hmm. is coming into therapy, um, they're already in a certain mindset, you know, I would just think like, you know, someone who like didn't want to do it and they were, didn't go into that situation. Like, have you, how do you encounter both of those? Or is it usually, usually people who are wanting to be there? Yeah. I, I think there are a couple of aspects of that. One is in, in couples counseling or marriage counseling, there is typically, not always, but typically sort of the, the dragger and the draggy, mm -hmm. right? Like one of either the husband or wife, the man or woman wants to do therapy and their partner kind of doesn't want to or is, so to speak, willing to because mm -hmm. they don't want to be confrontational about it. Yeah. And so they come in with less of a desire to be there. Mm -hmm. And I think in individual therapy... It's interesting because the, the dynamic changes because there's a sense in which you know that that person wants to be there, otherwise mm -hmm. they wouldn't have come. They wouldn't have gotten in their car and driven there. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. they're, they're asking for it, mm -hmm. whatever it is, right? And so there's a sense in which, and, and I think in normal conversation, that's not necessarily there. So in normal yeah. conversation, I may see things about, and we all do this, right? We see things about the other person, and we feel things, and we think things, and we may think to ourselves, I want to address that or I want to say that. Mm -hmm. But 
there's this tension of I'm not sure they're really asking for that, uh, yeah. and I have to I have to mediate that and I have to honor mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the counseling office, um, there's this at least assumption that the person is coming in wanting something, wanting me to do the thing that I do. Yeah, you said that, you know they're wanting it, whatever it is. What what is it? Huh. What question. is it that people are coming, <laughs> hoping for? It seems to me like whatever it is that people want when they set out on some you know to therapy. Mm. I can't imagine that they ever get it, whatever mm. it is that they originally seem to want. But I think they get something, mm. um, th- which I would imagine is somewhat different than what they originally mm. set out for. Was that what's your experience? Yeah, with? I mean, I I think that people c- come in for all kinds of reasons, right? And I um, usually there's some kind of uh, precipitating event, thing that's happened in their lives, um, or something that's been true about their lives for a long time that. Um, whether it's events in the past or things that they feel or think, they 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 reach some some place where they have made this um, really. It seems to me really courageous decision hmm. to talk to somebody about that. And there's sort of like almost a point of no return. Like like they they cross over that bridge and they say, okay, I'm going to go in this direction and begin to deal with it. Oh yeah. Um, now I'm just forgetting what your question was. <laughs> I think, yeah, what it is, like oh, yeah. some sort of, you know, I think there's maybe two parts to it. Like one, what is counseling? Mm. And two, what do people hope to get out of it? Yeah. And then what do they actually end up getting out of it? Well, I, so. Um, and also maybe what, can you just address, like I think we've used three different words, counseling, therapy, psychotherapy, there's mm-hmm. psychiatry. and what, what what is the kind of general difference and where do you fall in that? So, yeah, let me say that and then we'll get back to the it question. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so so I am a licensed professional counselor. That's an LPC. That's a state designation. I have a license from the state to do the practice of counseling. Um, and there are other people that do what I do who are not LPCs. They mm-hmm. have some other degree or some other whatever. Um, so in general, I use the term psychotherapy. So I'm a psychotherapist, which basically means that I, I do talk therapy. I talk to people about their inner worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is also um, someone that might have a degree in psychology, like a doctor of psychology. And psychologists do um, um, do talk therapy. Um, uh, but uh, there are also a, a, another sort of aspect of psychologists that do more research um, um, and then there's psychiatrist, which is a medical doctor who has completed his medical training and has done a, um, um, what's the term where you specialize? I can't remember the term now, but they've done that in, in the field of psychiatry. So they go, they, they are, they are medical doctors who are psychiatrists and typically probably before about 50 years ago. The, the field of psychotherapy was really the something that was relegated to psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. You know, we sort of have Freudian sort of imagery that comes to mind, mm-hmm. and people who work with you over a long period of time to talk mm-hmm. about your issues. Um, today, I and I think there again there are a lot of reasons for this, but today I think psychiatry has become much more of a medication management sort of field, and I think there. Are there are insurance reasons, there are financial reasons, there are a lot of reasons why that's happened, but 
most of the time people go to a psychiatrist for some sort of psychotropic medication to affect their mood. Mm-hmm. And, and psychiatrists don't typically do therapy. Some do, mm-hmm. but most don't. Um, and so I think the field of talk therapy has been um, in some ways populated by people like me mm-hmm. who, who have degrees that enable them to do those things, to mm-hmm. sit with somebody and talk. Okay. That in, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I think that uh, yeah, gives gives puts some boundaries on it. Um, in terms of the it question, um, you know, it's interesting. I think um, a lot of people come to talk with me because they have a as I as I mentioned, some precipitating event or some reality about their lives, uh, some compulsive disorder or whatever that that they have a problem and they want a solution for that thing mm-hmm. and they kind of expect me at some level to say okay well here's your problem here's what you can do to solve that problem here's my advice right do this 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 which is not there are some therapists who do that you know i'm not that therapist i don't um i i rather see um you know i was talking with a client recently and and I asked them, you know, how did you find me? And most people, when they answer that question these days, they say, well, Google, right? They, hmm. they found me on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, before the internet, it was much more, you talk to a friend, you talk to a pastor, you talk to somebody who mm-hmm. might be able to refer you. And I, you know, and I'll, I'll say, um, well, so what you, you Googled and you found X number of therapists on, on Google, why did you choose me? Mm-hmm. And this particular person said, well, your website was the only website that didn't look like you were a used car salesman. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Psychologists' websites tend to be pretty well, bad. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Well, because I think it's because you're you're offering a thing, a product, a service that is difficult to describe, mm-hmm. right? It's like I, I had this fantasy at some point in the past that I wanted to have a... a a business card that only had my name on it mm-hmm. and nothing else. <laughs> like no, some kind of spy? No phone. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, here, here's me. If you can <laughs> figure out how to contact me, <laughs> I can help you. Then I can help you. <laughs> if, so you, you <laughs> if you can't figure that out, then... <laughs> so you said a second ago that uh, something about mm-hmm. you said, I don't do that. It seemed like you were saying basically like, I, I don't give... I don't practice therapy in a way that I'm trying to give people actionable methods to improve right. themselves. Well, yeah, it sounded like you were saying like, I don't, I'm not in the business of giving advice. In, in some ways I think that's true, which is interesting. Yeah. Like I, I think people have a tendency to, to expect that when they sit down with somebody who's perceived as an expert like me, they're going to tell me their problem and I'm going to tell them how to solve that problem. Right. And, and that is a very short term sort of way of thinking. Right. And, and I'm, I'm much more, um, um, I'm much more dis-ease oriented. That is what I mean by that is I'm not symptom oriented. I, I want to understand and I want to help the person understand what I think is driving those things that they're struggling with. Hmm. But part of the dilemma is a person may or may not be prepared to go in that direction. Hmm. Right. And so there's sort of this, mm, flow or, or, or direction that we have in which I'm asking questions and I'm directing the conversation in a way that may be difficult for them. Hmm. And, and, and that is mediated by my perception as to whether or not 
the degree to which they are prepared for that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the reason why I bring up the used car salesman thing is because, it, you know, it's interesting. So they say, you, you don't look like a used car salesman, which means that you're not here to sell me a car. You're not here to sell me a product. Mm. I liked your picture or whatever. It, like like I, I gleaned something from that experience of looking at whatever you have online that says, I think I can talk to this person. Hmm. Yeah. You, like if they go to read another website and they see a bullet list of like, you know, I'm going to, I can help you yeah. improve this. I can fix yeah. marriage troubles. I can, you know, a fair recovery or whatever. Mm -hmm. It seems like, for some people at least, they would read that list and have some sort of like, like it kind of feels like you're lying to me. Mm -hmm. Like you can't possibly do that. Mm. It's, you know. Mm. Yeah. So like. I, I wonder if it's a personality thing too, because I could just imagine some people like, oh, he can fix this, this, and this, and this. Therefore, I'm going to go to you because you are going to fix me. You yeah. Know, it's like, I can imagine that's a certain kind of people that that person that that would appeal to and mm -hmm. another kind of person who's, who sort of senses the deep rooted unknown cause of these things. Mm. And so saying that you can just fix that symptom generally in everyone mm -hmm. seems, yeah, it's, it, it seems like a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least a, a lie in that it's ignoring something. Well, but I, but I think that that becomes the front door. Right. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. that's the entrance into the process, um, because my idea of having the card with my name, name on it, I didn't do that because I don't think that would be very hmm. <laughs> that helpful, would be, not be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I, I do think that that's the front door, because I think people do go to therapists, which is not something a person would normally do. Mm -hmm. They do it because they have a problem and it, the, those symptoms are showing up in their life somehow and they want to deal with them. They may not understand what's going on or what's pushing that, but mm -hmm. they, that's the front door to the process. And, and I, I am a much more, um, and there's all kinds of ways to do therapy, all kinds of theories of therapy and what's wrong with people, what's going on with people, what needs to be done. I'm much more of a, uh, I tend much more in a sort of a psychodynamic existential bent. Hmm. Meaning you gotta that, unpack that. Well, <laughs> So when I say psychodynamic, I just mean that the, 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 the idea is that the things that are driving us, the things that are, are most important about our lives are things that are sort of underneath the waterline, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, the idea that it's not just something on the surface. It's not simply my behavior. There's a dynamic that is at work that mm -hmm. is sort of beneath my thinking, beneath my, my normal way of thinking about things. And that there's an uncovering process to that. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm psychodynamic. I'm I'm existential in the sense that I think that there are the 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 um, the best way to approach the truths of our lives and the things that happen in our lives is that we live in an existential reality. That means that there are certain kind of problems that aren't solvable in mm -hmm. the way that we want them to be solved. It's it's problems of existence, mm -hmm. right? And and what do you do with that? What do you do with those problems of existence? And how do those how does our flight from those problems affect us in the way that we relate, in the way that we behave, the way we talk, the way we think? Um, and so, <clears throat> from my perspective, coming to a place where you begin to understand what those issues are and you wrestle with them in a different way, mm -hmm. then I think a lot of the compulsions that we have in our lives have a tendency to <coughs> 
to lose, we lose the, they lose their interest, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, hearing you say all of that, there's something in me that kind of gets excited. I hear you say, I'm like, I want that. Like, I want to go deep. I want to understand the reason that I am the way that I am because how else can I move forward in a positive way? And I, it seems like, like, do you ever have people have negative reactions to this approach? Like they come in and you do what you do and you kind of start guiding them in this direction. Does anybody react Violently to that? Well, violently. (laughs) (laughs) Negatively. Um, Well, yeah, I've had some people react violently, um, but not... Actually violently? Actually violently. Really? But not... I should just say, I, I've had people react violently in my office. Whatever those reasons are, <laughs> we, we could unpack. But yeah. the point being that I think that is sort of so, sort of with, within the psychological nomenclature, we talk about resistance, right? That is that, that as, as we're having a conversation with somebody and we're beginning to uncover what's really happening, there's a part of all of us that is just like, mm, no, oh, well, yeah. I, don't, I don't really want to. That that's too much. Um, if I open that door, then that door's never going to be closed. And if I start, you know, I've had people say, "I, I just feel like if I start crying now, I'm never going to stop." Mm-hmm. Right? And that's so sad. Yeah. And I, but I but I think I think that's true in one sense of all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, like, what what is that part of us that? Uh, so Lewis talks about this idea in the weight of glory. He talks about this idea that inside each one of us is an inconsolable secret. Hmm. He says it's a secret we cannot hide and we cannot tell, though we, <laughs> though we want to do both. Yeah. It's a secret we cannot tell because we've never experienced it. And it's a secret we cannot hide because our experience is always suggesting it. Hmm. And I, I read that, and part of me is just like, ah, like, I, that's maddening. Mm-hmm. Like, what is he saying? But I'm also read that, and I'm like, I know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, you said something earlier that you're kind of hitting back on now, which is that like some the reason that you are a therapist is in some way because you're you're engaging with people about the exact same issues that you yourself experience, mm-hmm. which was fascinating because you've seen. I can imagine thousands and thousands of people mm. over the four decades you've been doing this. And, you know, especially in a time right now where we culturally are like very, very almost hell bent on celebrating and pointing out diversity mm. and how everybody is different. Um, but for you to say that, you know, and surely you've talked to people over the years that have dealt with specific issues that you may not have experienced directly. Right. Right. Um, you know, uh, but yet you're saying that there is still this core similarity mm. between you and everyone that you talk to. And there's some, some core similarity between issues. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, but I ran out. <laughs> I ran out of steam. I want somebody I, else to talk. About. I, yeah, I, was, I was really following all of what you're, I was like, yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> well, I think it comes back to, th- you know, in one sense it sounds almost cliche, but it's, it's things we all know, mm-hmm. right? Like what do you, um, Irvin Yalom, who's a, um, a fairly famous. Did he team. write DJ Webb? Yes. Yes. That was fantastic. Yes. I really enjoyed he, that. He's a wonderful, uh, existentialist, atheist, psychiatrist mm-hmm. who's been in practice for many years, written a lot of books. And 
he described this experience where he was at a conference. I don't know if he was leading the conference or whatever. There's several hundred people in the room and he had people get up out of their chair and face a person like pair off and mm-hmm. look into each other's eyes and simply ask a single question. The question was, what do you want? Hmm. Not allowed to ask anything else, right? What do you want? And he said that he's never been in a situation where there was so much deep emotion that came out of that simple little exercise. Oh, Pe- people weeping, talking about hmm. lost children and lost opportunities and meaninglessness. And, mm. and he said, and these are by no means sort of ragtag people. These were successful people who, as he put it, glittered as they walked, hmm. <laughs> which was a great way to put it. Um, and this, you know, which, which speaks to the idea that in some sense, we all glitter when we walk, right? Mm-hmm. We, nobody sees the turmoil that's going on inside of us. But that simple question, what do you want? You know, I, I, I might begin to answer it and then stop and be like, no, that's not what I want. Like, and, I, mm-hmm. and it just has a, has a tendency of going deeper and deeper and deeper. Like, mm-hmm. what do I want? And, and the, what I was going to say a minute ago, it may seem rather cliche, but I think it's true is that, you know, how do you answer that question? What do you want? I want... I want love, I want meaning, I want purpose, I want connection, I want intimacy, mm-hmm. right? And all of those things are things in our lives which are nearly impossible to control, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, I don't know. Getting, to, getting those things is impossible to control? Well, maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement. It's not it's impossible to control. It's, it's very difficult. Like, how do I... How do I become intimate with somebody? How do I, as some people have said, get the love that I want? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. How do I do that? I, and that ultimately becomes manipulative, and I don't want that, right? Well, it's interesting that all of those things that you listed, all of those things require relationship. They require other people. Yes. And maybe you can't control how you come to those things mm. uh, because it's not just dependent on you. Right. Yes. And so if I answer that question, what do you want? Well, I want to win the lottery or I want to have a better job or these things in my life that are fine to want. But I think the things that I most deeply and existentially want are things that exist in a person. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why all of our deepest struggles are personal. Mm-hmm. They're relational. They're not simply because I lost my job or what, you know, issues that are um, transitional. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think to to live in a in a universe where we are persons um, means that we long for something that is of person. Mm-hmm. We long for something that is personal, and that is the that is the thing in my life that is I believe control over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I keep coming back there. The thought that keeps going through my head too is like, you know. Like I see the the value, you know, in what you do, and and but the question keeps coming to my mind is like, why do we not experience this communally? Hmm. You know, and, and maybe there's hmm. times we do, or maybe in certain settings that does happen, but you know, why are we not experiencing that sort of depth in relationship? You know, I can think of hmm. like certain relationships where I experience aspects of that depth. Mm. But, you know, it's like I do see the one thing you said that it's interesting, like I think in every relationship you 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 go deep, deep, deep. And then there's a spot where you just like, oh, OK, mm. I don't know if I, I I don't know how to get past that or even to 
uh, you might not even know what it is, but it just kind of stops right there. Mm. And um, I don't know if it also has to do like, you always hear like, you know, work-life balance or, you know, it's like, I'm a professional here, I'm personal here, I'm a, you know, musician, you know, it's like, Mm. but I do see that that aspect of like, you know, in certain relationships, it stops at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think we, we all have questions of ourselves and others that we, some which we ask and some that we don't ask, um, that lead more in that direction. Mm -hmm. But I I think what also happens is, and this happens in the therapy office as well, but hopefully at least the goal is it happens less. Mm -hmm. And that is that, um, it's not just a question of the other person. I'm also having to mediate my own anxiety, mm-hmm. right? And what I'm feeling in the context of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had someone the other day, someone that, um, not in a therapy setting, a friend, and this person said something very kind to me about something that I'd done for them some years past. And and I, I felt a little self-conscious, mm-hmm. right? And I, I thanked them and I told them that was very kind of them to say that. But I noticed after after the interaction, I thought to myself, why didn't I ask them more about that? Hmm. Like, why didn't I say, how was that helpful to you? Yeah. Right. You just let them thank you and you said, pretty much, you're welcome and went right. on. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I had to ask myself that question, like, why didn't I push the conversation a little bit? It mm-hmm. wasn't It wasn't fundamentally uncomfortable, but I think if I had asked that further question, it would have been it would have changed the tone of the conversation a little bit. And um, I'm still not done sort of thinking that through as to why I I didn't, but I I think there's a sense in which... It seems awkward. Like, you know, like, oh, how did that, why did that? It's like, like, oh, well, uh, you know, it's like... Well, yeah, that's why I say I don't think we're we're Mm -hmm. used to people asking that question. Yeah. And certainly not in a way that is just sort of like, as, as a result of a natural conversation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you said something about, you know, in relationship when you're having a conversation, you're also mediating your own anxiety yeah. in that. Mm. Um, and it sounds like, you know, that is that is something maybe in therapy that uniquely is different because, like you said earlier, you don't have that sort of personal investment in a person's mm-hmm. life, so you don't really bring much mm-hmm. personal anxiety to the relationship. Mm-hmm. But then when a person says, you know, thanks you for something you did for them it changes that a little bit yeah you it's it's bringing you have you you have some personal stake now yeah as however small it may be yeah and i i i regretted not asking her that question Mm. because i it 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 feels to me like i sort of i wasn't courageous in asking that question Mm -hmm. right it would have taken courage for me to ask that question and i think had i asked that question knowing this person, I think she would have said, she would have answered me and she would have felt appreciative that I asked that question. And Mm -hmm. that is a kind of intimacy, Mm -hmm. right? Which is rare. Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe it goes back to saying, I think there's a sense in which courage plays a huge role in asking those questions that go past that sort of awkward moment. Mm -hmm. Like I'm willing for you to be awkward. Not because I want you to be awkward, but, but, I, I, I see and I want something more here mm-hmm. than simply what is happening this moment. That sounds so loving. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it does, isn't it? For someone to say to you, yeah, I'm willing for it to be awkward. Mm-hmm. I'm willing for you to 
bring you anxiety yeah. in. Yeah. And I'm, you know, it may be hard, but I'm okay with that. I'll do yeah. that. That feels so loving. Hmm. And, and I think that's why I think it's really important that you're sort of aware of your own anxiety and your own struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Like, because I need, I, I would want to be able to ask that question that is not in a way that is not awkward. Right. Right. Like it, as if I'm communicating the other person, it's okay. Mm-hmm. This isn't weird. This isn't awkward. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. Right. This isn't weird. This isn't awkward when it really, when it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh man. Oh, just a natural. I know. I kind of want to sit with like, that yeah, for a second. <laughs> I don't know. When we talk about relationships in, in this way, it just seems so much more, you know, the awkwardness, the, um, you know, also just being able to acknowledge the depths that are, that exist in the other individual and, and also like where our, you know, um, where we kind of fall short or, you know, or like you said, I didn't ask that question. I wish I would have, you know, it's like, and then the next time maybe you would ask that question. Mm. And, um, I don't know, it just, it, 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 it just kind of starts painting a different world for me. You know, it's like, mm. it's, 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 if we kind of like get stuck on a lot of these superficialities, um, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, oh man, just innumerable, especially today, it seems like everyone's picking out all these little, mm. little things and it's like, we're really not that much different mm. <laughs> inside or like maybe how you would say like existentially, like we all are dealing with the same mm. issues and problems. And, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It sounds, it makes, it almost makes relationships sounds easier. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> not really. <laughs> well, and I, I think that I, I, I sort of fantasize about the idea that, um, perhaps there will come a day when it will be hmm. right. That we will be, um, we will have this capacity to be perfectly intimate with everyone. Mm. Right. And those awkward barriers or whatever those are simply won't exist. And Mm -hmm. what, what might that be like? Well, I don't know. (laughs) And does it, does that concept terrify either of you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like you say that when we be perfectly intimate with everybody, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, good question. Um, well, it's just a hard thing to even conceptualize. Well, sure. I mean, even if I could just say, I, you know, I'm perfectly intimate with four or five people, mm-hmm. you know, even mm-hmm. just look at it on that scale. I mean, for one thing, I think one of my most deepest desires is to be known yeah. fully. Yeah. I also absolutely don't want anyone to know me fully because right. <laughs> mm. I'm not... Like, I'm not good. I don't feel good. Right. I feel like there is darkness mm. there, you know, and mm. I, that it would just be so hard to reveal. Mm. And I feel like that's fairly universal. And so for me to be perfectly intimate with three or four or five other people, like, I don't know if I have the ability to sustain all of that that's in them and to know, yeah. and to know that and not, and, and you know, not die. Hmm. <laughs> something like uh-huh. it just seems like there's so much there there's so much inside of every person if you were could know fully another mm-hmm. person would you be even able to accept it would you be yeah. just, just the information mm-hmm. well it makes me think like like i mean uh, it's more like a web like not that everybody would be 
that intimate with each other. But if like, if you had a culture of intimacy, then it's like you kind of live in a place where it's sort of known that, that there is that, that intimacy between, cause like, I think what you're saying, like even like the, they talk about like, you really can only have 150 people in your social circle. I think mm. that's how we're kind of wired. Again, I don't know where like where I can quote that Wait, from. How many Instagram followers? <laughs> yeah, <you have> exactly. <laughs> well, that's I think that's some of the problems that they're kind of bringing up now is like we've got these such broad circles of mm. of community that we're really like kind of like put, like spreading ourselves like too thin. Where it's like mm. you know we kind of need to have like more intimate communities of of like five or six or ten or twelve. And yeah. I mean, I I think that's part of the dilemma of talking about this. You brought this up, Matt. That like there's this part of me that wants deeply to be known. And there's this part of me that's like, hell no, you're not going to know me. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and there's sort of this both pull this invitation to know me. And this other part of me that's just got my fist out and it's like, no, you're not going to know me. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I don't know if that's a paradox or an ambivalence. Right. And I think that will in some sense will always be true. Right. And so even as you say, you're perfectly intimate with four or five people where you're not right because nobody knows you completely nobody can know you completely yeah yeah you don't even know yourself in that way either right and so that i that idea but i think that idea still pushes us forward there's something in me that wants to (laughs) wrestle (laughs) what is that that's somebody playing their music loud on the street (laughs) we don't have a proper studio (laughs) (laughs) um yeah there's some there's something in me that that pushes toward that and struggles with that and we'll always struggle with that Mm -hmm. that's not a problem we're going to solve but Mm -hmm. i i think the 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 dissatisfaction that i have about that pushes me forward pushes us forward right yeah um yeah yeah i was thinking i mean that's the place i really i I feel like I always come back to is the idea of paradox. You know, it's mm. like I know who I am, but also don't know who I am at the right. same time. And it's like you kind of have to live in that paradox of knowing and not knowing. Mm. And it's also with other people too. It's like you know, like even my wife of fifteen years is like you know I'm still learning and getting to know her. And it's like I, you mm. know, it's like I can't put her in a box. Um, you know, she's done some therapy. You know, she doesn't mind me mentioning this over the last couple of years, and it's been really amazing to see her like just mm. you know having. I mean, we talk fairly intimately, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, but I did see the difference with her being able to go to someone who is almost exactly like you were talking about. Like Mm. we have this time to talk about you, Mm. you are the one who matters. And I want to like, I want to spend time with you Mm. and no, no small talk. And, you know, it's like, and I just have seen like how, how much that has been really helpful, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it make, it makes a lot of sense to me. I, I guess that's too. Is like I always want to like think too. Is like how to bring it into you know <laughs> everyday life. You know, it's mm. like not to put you out of job though. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think you <laughs> exactly exactly. Well, and I think I to go to off the issue of paradox. I think mm-hmm. to to sort of come to a place where you realize there is paradox, right? Yeah. There, there is ambivalence. That's mm-hmm. that's part of what it means for you to know me mm-hmm. oh, yeah. is that I live in paradox. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that we live in paradox makes me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't make me happy. Maybe it makes me happy that we can talk about it yeah. because I think that is an existential reality mm-hmm. that I want known about me. Mm-hmm. 
um, I, I both want to get close to you and I want to get away from you. Yeah. Right. Because I'm afraid of what you might find. And so all those things are working together. What do you think about like, like suffering? Like this is something <clears throat> I've always, I've really, <clears throat> so in my ideal world, I could learn things without suffering or without uh, going through a very difficult um, situation in order to learn a very valuable and deep and transforming lesson. So far, that has not been uh, experientially <laughs> true. It seems like all the things that mean the most to me are the things that I've really had to work through or suffer through. You know, it's like... <laughs> Because uh, like, there's kind of this idea of like extracting suffering and everything will be okay, mm. but it, that, that doesn't really, it doesn't seem like that's, I wanted that, that to be true, but it mm. doesn't seem to be true. Mm. I don't know. Does that? Yeah. Do that? I mean, <laughs> have you not read Proverbs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, so yeah. Proverbs says in, in wisdom, there mm. is much suffering, mm. right? And, and we know that people that, we intuitively know that we, we know people that are wise and sometimes mm -hmm. they're older. Most of the time they are older. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason why they're older is because they have been through, um, an immense amount of suffering, mm -hmm. right? They bear the scars of that on their face. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like that song, um, which one, the one where you talk about your family, family trees. Oh yeah. yeah. Full um, but broken. And you bear it in the lines on your forehead. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I. It's interesting that you that yes, we do somehow intuitively know that that wisdom requires suffering. Hmm. Why do we intuitively know that? Because we've never experienced anything different. Mm. Maybe because we, I mean, suffering, the definition of suffering is the gap that exists between what you want and what you have. Hmm. Right. Hmm. And, and I'm not talking about enough money or whatever those things are. I'm, I'm talking in, in terms of the, the deep longing of my soul. Right. Hmm. I, I want a certain thing. I want justice. I want love. I want beauty. I want goodness. And I, I glimpse that. Right. At times, and and it and it sort of pings a place in me that I'm not necessarily all that familiar with. I don't know what to do with. It. I don't mm -hmm. know how to describe it. Mm -hmm. right? um, but I, but I, yes, I think suffering. We intuitively know that because we 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 know that we long for something that we don't have, mm -hmm. um, or that we have very little control over. Um, so Jung once said that. Um, all neurosis, and I'll just use the term neurosis in a very sort of loose way, that is mm -hmm. those ways that we live, those things that we do um, that are just sort of compulsive and we don't know why we do them and whatever. All neurosis is an alternative to legitimate suffering. Mm -hmm. the, the idea being that the reason why I am out of control, the reason why I do things I don't want to do is mm -hmm. because I have legitimate suffering in my life mm -hmm. and I don't want that. Yeah. And it's that suffering and the, the refusal to enter into that suffering in one sense that drives me to do things that are mm, maladaptive. Wow. Right? So Elon Musk has this Neuralink mm -hmm. thing that he's working on. I don't know a ton about it, but um, he, his idea is that uh, our ability to consume new information mm -hmm. um, 
is a bandwidth problem. Like we have these phones mm. on us all the time that give us access to any piece of information we want, but it takes a long time to mm. get that information into our brains. And he's like mm. trying to make something that could like matrix style inject information into your brain. Oh wow! And I just started thinking, yeah, but there's like a component of when, uh, of time when it comes to learning, mm. which is linked to <clears throat> wisdom there is a component of time and I think a, com a component of suffering. Mm -hmm. And in that definition of the gap between what you want and what you have, that gap is represented by time. And, mm -hmm. and you know, we often say suffer through something. Mm -hmm. You wait. Um, it doesn't seem possible to me to learn something meaningfully or something of meaning without time, without suffering. Mm -hmm. And if you remove the time and suffering component of it, the thing that you have seems like it would no longer have the value hmm. that it mm -hmm. does. I, you know, you yeah, there's the suffering that is involved in waiting and discipline and, mm -hmm. you know, the doing, doing the things like do your, do your homework so you can learn how to do algebra. Right. Mm -hmm. The small way to put it, but yeah. Or even when Young talks about, I think it's specifically related to psychedelics, but he's like, be careful of the wisdom you do not earn. Mm. And so like, you know, you, you hear a lot of like psychedelic use and, and you know, it's like you do hear like a lot of breakthroughs and there's things that are really important to people. But then I think he was more specifically maybe referring to kind of like, like common usage of it. Mm. And like, you know, you do gain, you kind of download something, but you didn't really have the experience or right. you didn't know, you don't really kind of the same thing like downloading some information into your head. It's like you, you kind of have to like walk through it and learn it and suffer through it yeah. for it to really. I mean, even with on. objects, like when we re, you know, you're, you're going to treat an object in your life differently based upon how you acquired it. Hmm. You know, did you work hard and earn and wait and, and have patience and earn the money to buy it? Mm -hmm. Or uh, did somebody just give it to you because they had an extra one? Mm -hmm. Or was is it a family heirloom? And that all changes the way that you interact with that object and the way that you, t that you care for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's facts and values. Facts <laughs> and values. Yeah. It's like this um, sewing machine we have at our house that belonged to um, my wife, your mom's, um, great, I believe it was her great great grandmother. It's one of these old pedal sewing machines, wooden, whatever. The Singer. Yeah, the Singer. Mm -hmm. It's in one of our bedrooms at home. It's oak and it's iron. And and part of what makes that meaningful, not just an object, is we know that her great great grandmother carried that in her Conestoga wagon from Kansas to Oklahoma, which is part of the oh, Oklahoma wow. land rush. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's some suffering. Right? Yeah. Like what are, that, that adds meaning to that object. Right. right? It's no longer just a, a thing that you can buy. You can buy better ones on Amazon or whatever, but it's a thing that is imbued meaning because you know, not, it's not simply that it belonged to her great, great grandmother. It's also mm -hmm. something that her great, great grandmother suffered with. And, and that suffering brings meaning. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I've got two questions that kind of maybe in a different direction if we want yeah. to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one, one is that sort of like, uh, it's referred to as like, you know, first half of life, second half of life. And then also like I've heard a lot of talk about uh, like childhood wounds, you know, it's like sort of like 
and again, I don't, I don't, I don't know a lot about this. I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are. Like, you know, usually there are these things in our childhood that happen to us and then our sort of personality comes out of how we've kind of protected ourselves hmm. from that wound. Yeah. And, and people do that in different ways. Hmm. And, it, and that, that's helpful up to a certain point. But then it actually becomes, it actually starts to, uh, for lack of a better word, unhelpful or right. like actually act against you. I don't know if those two, two ideas are the same thing or not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Mm. Yes. <laughs> well, Affirmed. I'll be opening my practice uh, next week. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's sort of the idea that, and this is why I think all of our stories are important. Mm-hmm. Um, um, our stories involve, you know, not only today and yesterday, but kind of our whole life, the way we were raised, the relationships mm-hmm. we have, the relationship we have with our parents, whom we very naturally want a lot from, mm-hmm. right? We want our parents to love us perfectly and our parents don't love us perfectly, right? And and some pa- parents less than others, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I'm picking on parents. I don't mean to pick on parents. I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I think we- We're all parents here, we, so we, we, Right, I mean, <laughs> we, 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 we grow up in a world where we long for something that we don't have, mm-hmm. right? And the anxiety that that produces and the experiences of that, sometimes those experiences are super tragic Mm -hmm. in a person's life. And so we are wounded, right? And and yes, I think we consciously or not, mostly not, Mm -hmm. develop means by which we protect ourselves from that. Mm -hmm. And and that's to go back to Jung's statement, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Like we develop neuroses, we develop patterns, we develop relational styles, we develop all kinds of things that are largely um, not simply governed by personality, but are also governed by sort of vows that we make hmm. internally, sometimes unconsciously, to a- avoid those those feelings, mm-hmm. those, those feelings of loss. And so um, we go on in our lives, and you said, you know, there's a sense in which it's helpful, and I think that's probably a good word, but I think it... it it becomes something that becomes maladaptive. It becomes something that really keeps us from being able to love the other mm-hmm. because we're, we're really invested in protecting ourselves. Mm. Right. And so, you know, when, when Jesus says one of the greatest of the commandments is that I should love my neighbor as myself, mm-hmm. it seems a bit absurd to me because mm. I, I love myself a lot. Right, I'm practically all I think about. Mm-hmm. In one sense. <laughs> and, uh, and and there's a number of ways that that passage can be taken. But the point being, for for me at least, is this idea that that I am really invested in protecting myself in a lot of ways that I'm not always conscious of. Mm-hmm. Right, and that the idea that I'm called to, or indeed that I would want to love you just as much. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like an impossibility. Yeah. Right? because I, I can't think about you as much as I think about me because I'm so invested in the process of protecting myself. Well, also how you think about yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's something like if you have, you know, this certain view of yourself, it's like, you know, it's like how can you love somebody else because you're you're not even loving yourself in the way that you should be. Right. Know? It's like, I don't, I don't know if that also plays in the... Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's another part of the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but I, but I think a lot of our to go back to use this word neurosis or a lot of our problems or a lot of the ways that we relate, um, that we feel trapped in are very deeply related in, in, 
and this is what I do for a living, right? I mean, <laughs> they're very deeply related in, in the idea that we're invested in protecting ourselves from, from existential loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, those stories of loss are played out in, in all kinds of ways, whether it's, you know, my father was silent. Mm-hmm. He never spoke to me, never spoken in my life. Mm-hmm. And I so deeply wanted him to. And that's a very common story for a lot of people, right? Yeah, totally. and, and why even do I want my father more than my mother mm-hmm. to speak into my life? Well, that's a complicated issue, yeah. right? So it goes even from there to stories of horrendous you know, sexual abuse and, mm-hmm. and things that happen in a person's life that have deeply wounded them. Yeah. And I think our tendency is to not think terribly much about that because it's so difficult, mm-hmm. right? And it's difficult to see the connection between the compulsions, my relational compulsions that come out of my desire to protect myself. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that a person that is moving toward being a loving person is also moving toward concurrently, or maybe it's the same line exactly, that I'm not here to protect myself. Just like what mm-hmm. I was discussing earlier with the friend that said something kind to me. Well, why didn't I say it to her? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I say, what do you mean by that? Well, probably because I'm protecting myself, right? And don't we need to protect ourselves to some <clears throat> degree? Hmm. I mean, should a goal be to remove your protections? Um, it probably depends on what you mean by protections, Yeah. right? There's a lot of ways to talk about that. The way, I think the way I'd put it, at least in terms of the context of which we're talking about, is removing protections that are about my compulsion to not suffer, right? I want, I, I, I don't want to suffer, but I, but I also don't want to, um, be a person who's simply guided and pushed by my refusal to suffer. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to live a life in which I welcome it in a certain sense. I'm okay with it. I let it flow through me. Mm-hmm. I'm not pushing against it so that I can be freer to, um, to love others. Right? So that's interesting. I, you know, as you're, as you're saying this, like I kind of get this picture in my head of like, you know, you, you know, it's like as you are, you know, oh, how do you say it? Um, being open to suffering and maybe some facing some of the things that are from your childhood or from immediate situations and being willing to, to step into that. And then like, even your question about like, you know, you know, is, is there some things that you need to protect yourself against, you know? And I kind of thought about like, you know, people who are abusive, you know, and you kind of like, okay, wait a minute, you're being abusive. Yeah. I need to kind of put a wall up here because this is not safe, you know? Mm. But then also thought about like, but as you are more, um, more okay with suffering or stepping into those places that the abuse that comes towards you is not like you're, you're more willing to accept that or go into that. Mm. If that makes sense, sort of, you know, if someone's like, um, Oh shoot. Trying to think of a good example. Um, you know, yeah, exactly. If, If, you know, if, if you're really sensitive to verbal abuse or something like that, then you would just kind of like, you just kind of ignore or, or stay away from people that mm. are probably a little bit more, you know, uh, aggressive, you know, mm. but, uh, you know, as you're able to like, kind of like, I think of like in the civil rights movement, 
Hmm. You know, the, one of the, the trainings they do is they, they would sit them down and then say all the horrible words you could say hmm. so that really? when they went into the situation that they wouldn't be uh, affected by triggered all, by that. Yeah, yeah, triggered by that. Yeah. And it was interesting because then they were able to kind of transcend, you hmm. know, and not meet anger with anger or, hmm. you know, words with words that are, you know, that would not be helpful. Hmm. And so I, I, I kind of wonder too, like that with us being, as we become more healthy, that we're able to actually encounter the world and that maybe even like, <laughs> something that maybe is not encouraging, like maybe even greater levels of suffering, you know, maybe like a mother Teresa, maybe there was something in that <laughs> where she could, she could meet with suffering because there was something in her that was so much more open or something like that. Yeah. I mean, your, your ability to withstand suffering changes and grows and strengthens as you go through it. Mm-hmm. And, and in order to, to, to do that sort of, you, you kind of have to I'm having a hard time putting this one together. Mm-hmm. You have to, I think you have to, at some way, you have to protect yourself in order to withstand a certain amount of suffering so that you can grow stronger in order to protect yourself less mm-hmm. in order to do new acts of love, which require suffering. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like, how is it that you move forward and open yourself? Um, how, you know, you're growing as a person. This is a babble. <laughs> no, but you, I like it because I feel like we're, wor- we're working around an idea here and I, I, I'm, I'm following what you're saying, but I, don't, I also don't have the verbiage of what you're... Yeah, I think where I'm starting from is that this idea of protection um, is, it, it is protective and important, but it also is limiting and those protections have to be removed in order to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to remove them, you have to have the strength to remove them, which, you know, you come by that strength by suffering through something Mm. with the help of your protections. And I think this, you could kind of kicked us off in this direction. Like at some point, those, those things start becoming a negative, Mm -hmm. a hindrance, a hindrance to you. Um, and so you've got to start removing them Mm. and you've, and you know, maybe Mm. you put, you know, come up with new protections yeah. mm-hmm. in order to have the strength to continue on. Mm-hmm. No, that's something that I learned early on. I mean, it's a long, long story, but like, you know, there was something in my 19 area, uh, 1920s. And, and, you know, it's like, I could only think about today, you know, it's like, and I had to build a wall around today or maybe the next 10 minutes yeah. or the next five seconds, you know, it's like, because that's all I could handle. Right. And then it became three hours, you know, it's like, and then three days and then 10 days. And it's like, you know, as I, as you, as I kept walking through that, um, you know, it, it, it kind of expanded my ability. Then I could actually think about other people, you know, it's like, but I couldn't even handle my own stuff, you know? Right. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I do see that aspect of like, you know, if I, but if you, but if you, but if you keep those walls up, then actually it's almost like in the, in the inverse, it's like, it actually starts to constrict, you know? So rather than like, you know, if, if, if you live in this walled city, then it's not that that wall, those walls stay right where they are, you know, those protections, 
they actually start to constrict. I think, again, I'm going way off here, but it's almost <laughs> like a, oh, not a natural law, but like, you know, if, if you're not going to walk through this suffering, it's like it's going to constrict and constrict and constrict until you, it almost makes you walk through that, whatever mm. it might be. You know, mm. it's, it's, um, uh, it's, ne- it's not going to go away. It's only going to amplify it. I mean, is that even, it's unavoidable? Is, is there any legitimacy to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I th- I'm, as y'all are talking, I'm thinking about wh- what is the way I would want to be one day mm-hmm. in, in relationship to self-protection in relationship to the question of how do I, how do I deal with an abuser? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And where my mind goes is I, I, it's not that I necessarily want to be in a place where I'm protecting myself from that abuser more thoroughly. It's, it's that I want to be in a place because certainly I think there's a, there's a way to speak to, so let's change the word to a fool, right? The the Bible talks about like, like Proverbs says, don't rebuke a fool. Mm -hmm. Right. And then directly after that, it says rebuke a fool. Mm -hmm. Otherwise he's lost in his folly. Right. Mm. And that's mad. That's paradox. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, well, what is it? Should I rebuke them? or shouldn't rebuke them. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and part of the difficulty of that is that when I, in, in perhaps in wisdom or in growing wisdom, um, rebuking a fool or not rebuking a fool, rebuking an abuser or not rebuking an abuser, is is becomes less of an issue of protecting myself and more of an issue of of the wisdom of do I have the capacity to be part of a process that takes this person in a better direction hmm. right yeah capacity is it, in, is it in service of truth and goodness and justice mm-hmm. there are certain people that I won't say anything to mm-hmm. I have plenty to say them to mm-hmm. them but I won't say them say it to them because I think it will not result in something good yeah and and maybe i'm wrong mm-hmm. maybe i'm just doing it because i'm afraid yeah it's also possibly yeah, true. <laughs> right um but but i want to be able to move in my life in a direction that that wisdom guides me to speak to that person mm-hmm. not simply or not speak to that person not simply out of self-protection but mm-hmm. out of what i think the fruit of that might be mm-hmm. So there are times when I think that desire will push me to say things to people that I wouldn't otherwise say. And there are times that that desire pushes me to say, nope. Not now. Not now. Maybe it's not either ever. Either they don't have the capacity to mm. receive. Right. And that's it. that ends up being a kindness, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to push someone, and nor do I want someone to push me yeah, beyond totally. my capacity, um, disordered or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To be able to deal with what they're saying to me. See, I, I think that's I think that's the beautiful thing about just that whole layout right there was just that it really is. There's a wisdom in there because I mean, it, I, when you said that, like, there's sometimes when you're pushed and pushed and pushed, even like when Matt and I are talking, and I'm like, uh, okay, I, I don't know how to really work with that right now. And, and Matt will kind of like, okay, cool, you know, it's like, you know, kind of like and give me space in that area. And then we can kind of address those later on or something like that, you know, or sometimes never, you know, it's like, um, mm. but I think there's, but there's this idea of love too. It's like you, you know, it's like you're willing to step out and address things mm. and then also not, you know, it's like, but it's both. Mm. I think love is the, the contention there, but it's interesting because when you were saying it too, I was thinking of like, that's a healthy, you're in a healthy place or a healthy condition. You know, mm. it's like, because you're, 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 you're acting out into the world and you're also, as you're acting out into the world, 
you're also coming against your own barriers and your own, mm. your, your places where you're like, Oh, like you said, like, like I might've not done that because I was scared or I was, mm. you know, afraid or shamed or, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Yeah. But you're, you start bumping up against those walls that you didn't know were there, not mm. the ones that you are busily constructing, you know, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. that's pretty abstract, but mm. <laughs> yeah, I like the, um, you use the word love in there. Mm-hmm. Um, who is it that wrote the book, The People of the Lie? Peck. Scott yeah. Peck. Yeah, Scott Peck. I think not in that book, but in his first one, he talks about or de- defines the word love as any act of work directed towards the spiritual growth of another person, mm-hmm. which I thought was really good. And it sounds like kind of what we've been talking through is mm-hmm. is it takes, a, like you said, a stepping out which mm-hmm. requires vulnerability, mm-hmm. which uh, requires strength. Um, mm. and, it, and it requires stepping out towards that person in a way that is directed at giving them strength. Mm-hmm. And it takes kindness. It takes understanding. It takes wisdom to be able to do that at mm-hmm. different levels and, and in different capacities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just thinking too, like, you know, there's, there's all these different types of, you know, people like where they're, you know, uh, there's the wrecking balls that come in and just like, ah! <laughs> break everything yeah. down. And then everyone's like, okay, what do we got here? You know, it's like, and then the mouse who's like, you know, doesn't really want to hurt your feelings. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then all the different parts and in between that, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know what I yeah, mean. Yeah. And we, and, and the del- part of the dilemma is we all sort of err on one side or the other yeah, totally. all, the, all the time. Right. We, uh, we never get it right, which mm-hmm. is fine. But yeah, we, we maybe because of our background or personality, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, we do have a tendency to err one direction or another. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we know people that are very non-confrontive mm-hmm. and you want them to be more confrontive. Mm-hmm. We know people that are very confrontive and you're like, you need to chill. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, because e- either way to be confrontive or to be not confrontive mm-hmm. is, is also, it also comes out of that sort of neurotic need to protect myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had friends that, you know, they're so confrontive that if you, you know, their basic attitude is if you, if you put me in a corner, mm-hmm. you're not going to make it out alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I know no. that's how they handle conflict. Right. Yeah, yeah. And other people, if you put me in a corner, then, then I'm just going to die. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to deal with you. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Um, so yeah. So we're, I think we're always, it's kind of like thinking in the pendulous. Game. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, but both of those extremes need to be somehow corrected into something more of a healthy balance. And I think that's the position we're always in, right? Yeah. Like I, I see that I'm this way and I need to not be so much that way. And then I switch to the other side. I'm, you know, yeah. we're always sort of swinging back and forth between one or the other. Yeah. And, and I look at wisdom in some sense as one way to talk about wisdom is a, a sort of an absence of anxiety, hmm. right? Like... Like I'm kind of okay being here. I don't need mm. those swings. To th- I don't need to be quiet. And neither do I need to be loud. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be confrontive. I don't need to be non-confrontive. Hmm. That's I, that's super interesting. Wisdom is the absence of anxiety. Hmm. But, you know, as, as you think, as you, you have an image in your mind of of a wise older person. Hmm. One of the things that's so appealing to me about that, or there's something comforting in that image, hmm. and and it seems to that seemed to kind of nail it, that there's some absence of anxiety Hmm. about suffering, about all the problems of the world and of 
personal meaning and yeah. existentialism. And I, I, I found that, like, I want to add one other point to that, which is it's not just suffering, it's also joy, right? Mm. I think there's a sense in which we may avoid suffering, but I think there's another part of us that is also equally avoids rapture, right? We equally avoid joy. Hmm. Um, um, there, there are these moments perhaps when we touch it and we want to shy away from it. Like, oh, interesting. Well, why, uh, why, why do you think we, cause that seems like a really nice thing, <laughs> you know? Well, hmm, how would I put that? Um, I, I think it's hard. Um, that's probably a silly way to put it. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know that my body and my soul is prepared for the amount of joy that I think I'm capable of. Hmm. And, and there's some part of me that wants to be like, yeah, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like if I say to you, if you come to my house and you say, uh, I, I ask you, would you like a cup of coffee? Mm -hmm. And you, a lot of people might say, well, are you going to have some or are you making it anyway? Mm -hmm. And if you say, no, I, I want to make you coffee, especially for you, I'm having none. Mm -hmm. In other words, I want to please you. Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of people would say no. Right. They would say no because they don't want to put themselves in that position that feels shameful at some level that they are being loved. Hmm. What uh, Someone said, I don't know who said it, that it may be more, it may be, uh, it may be harder to give than it is to receive. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm forgetting the line. Um, I don't remember the line, so I'll just paraphrase it. The, <laughs> the idea that to to receive is a very very difficult thing. Yeah. Right. You you give me something of your kindness, and there's a part of me that wants to shy away from that. Yeah. And and why is that? A lot of people don't want yeah. their birthdays <laughs> celebrated. Right. Who's that? <laughs> Michael, you in, in particular had an <laughs> almost violent reaction to yes. celebrating your birthday this year. Oh, and then the idea of a surprise party was even worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, which saddened me so much because mm -hmm. I was, I wanted to honor you yeah. for your birthday Yeah, and you didn't want it. Dude, I have, I, when you're saying this, it's like, I think it is like, it's, it's easier for me to give and then to receive yeah. and like. Cause like if I get, if someone gives something to me, I feel like I owe something yeah. and mm -hmm. I, and I know that's not right. Like but it creates a debt. It creates a debt. You know, yeah. it's like, and, and I think I'm better at it. That's not really like, but I do know that like even like the birthday thing, you know, it's like, it's like, I, I don't want to, I'd rather sit backstage, you know, mm -hmm. and not be out front and stuff in that sort of mm -hmm. fact. Yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't really know you know, why that is, you know, it's like, mm. it's, do you think had you agreed to have a birthday mm -hmm. and you were, you know, people brought you gifts and you were honored mm -hmm. through things people said or their presence or whatever, would there have been joy in that? Um, probably not. No. Like, mm. I mean, uh, should there be, should there be, you know, it's like, I see like, like why I should be able to accept that, you know, and it's like, so <laughs> My, uh, and it's my, my badge I wear is like, you know, some people are self-righteous and some people are more, uh, false humility. Mm. So I sit on the false humility side cause it's a lot better than being self-righteous. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds better. Yeah, Sounds it does. Better. Exactly. Yeah. That's, but it's not, but it's not exactly. <laughs> no, I know that, but it's sort of like, you know, it's like, you know, whenever you're the, but it, it sounds so much more, you know, good, you know, yeah. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> well, and I think that's part of the, you know, 
it's funny when you think about kids, especially mm-hmm. when they're really young, they don't have a problem with that. Yeah. You know, oh, you, yeah. You, you have Christmas morning mm-hmm. and you know how this goes. Like there's all these presents under the tree and the kids open all the presents and they open their last present. And what do they always say? Mm-hmm. Where's the next one? <laughs> yeah. Right. That's it. Is that all? Uh-huh. And as adults, we don't, we may think that, but mm-hmm. we don't allow ourselves to say it. But kids right. have no problem saying that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're so, I think, connected to the idea of, uh, in one sense, in a very innocent way, joy, yeah. right? Like that question, is that all? Mm-hmm. Well, they're speaking to something that ought to be true. It shouldn't be all, mm-hmm. but it is, mm-hmm. right? And so that question over which they have no shame asking, mm-hmm. right? we have a lot of shame asking. So I, I mm-hmm. think to, to return to being a child, which is partly what wisdom is, mm-hmm. is returning to this place where you're able to receive joy out without right? shame. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like that there is some day coming perhaps when mm-hmm. infinite joy is offered to mm-hmm. me and I don't have the capacity for that yet. But, mm-hmm. but I, th- I think I'm in this process, mm-hmm. which is, also suffering comes into that context as well right I don't, yeah. I don't know joy unless I know suffering mm-hmm. um, I don't frankly know suffering unless I know something of joy mm-hmm. and and so um, we have an older uh, friend of ours who's 95 and sharp as a tack and he'll come over and he wants me to make him dirty martinis <laughs> that's awesome which I do uh-huh. right and he's so appreciative like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm like Travis. Would you like, you know, he sits down. Would you like a martini? He's like, yes, thank you, and that just feels so clean. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Oh, it's like yeah. just to say thank you uh-huh. without any addendum. Without, mm-hmm. it's just like he receives it, and it's good. And I'm, and I'm so happy to give mm-hmm. him that, right? Yeah, and for him to enjoy that as a 95 year old man. Yeah, but right? mm-hmm. um, it seems like he says it in a way that mm-hmm. only a 95 year old man right. can say that. Right. I'm trying to imagine like myself, if I come over and you ask me for that, I'm going to, I'm going to say it in some way that says more than just, yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, you're you're going to read of, it on me. Mm-hmm. There's more loaded mm-hmm. in it than for him. Yeah. And in that sense, he's more like a child. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause with children, it's not loaded. It's like, do you want a ice cream? They're like, well, yeah, yeah, of course. Like <laughs> I don't care what it sooner. takes. I don't care, <laughs> care what it costs. What, <laughs> what the dilemma is. Just give me what you want. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> So great. Well, cool. Do we uh, do we have anything else we want to run into? Or feels like a pretty natural place to wrap it up. It does. Is there anything that you uh, want to leave us with? Or <laughs> no, I just to, I'm to just wrap up? thinking about this conversation and and how it's gone in this direction. I don't really know how we got here. <laughs> I, don't <either. laughs> yeah. I don't really know where we, we are. We recorded it though, so I we know. can figure that like, out. Yeah. Well, it's suffering and joy and wisdom and, mm-hmm. and struggling with yourself and whatever. And, um, yeah, I'm glad it went in that direction. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Happy to. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have some more of these. So, Thanks. Bye. Bye.